are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Turn, please, to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. I'm speaking tonight on uh, a Christian home. Oh, that's a good subject, and there's a great need for it. In Joshua chapter 24, we read the first verse, and then skip down to verse 14 and 15. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, for the heads, and for the judges, and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now, what are you going to tell them, Joshua? Uh, now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served were on the other side of the flood. Of the side of the flooded Jordan we crossed coming in here, he said. And, um, and, but if you seem evil, you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether gods your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the, um, the, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. My wife's going to serve the Lord. My children are going to serve the Lord. My soldiers, I'm the head of the army. I'm going to see to it. My crowd's all going to serve the Lord. That's a wonderful start for a Christian home, isn't it? I'm preaching on a Christian home. Home is the oldest of all human institutions and the most important. It's older than any government. Home started in the Garden of Eden. One man and one woman. God himself performed a marriage ceremony and gave the instructions for life. It is older than the church and more important than the church uh, is a Christian home as an institution. And God's word has a word about it. And it's a plan that can be successful. God tells how you can have a home that's happy and it turns out right. And the children all serve the Lord and God's honored in it. And I want to talk to you about this Christian home. You know, I've been in the great citywide campaigns many times. I had my song leader say, I stretch you felt or Billy or... Uh, Harry Clark, I want them to sing and have the people sing Home Sweet Home, that old folk song so sweet. I'm surprised to find many people do not know it. If you'd been away from home as much as I have in these years that I've been married, I suppose, uh, I've been away from home 30, 35 years, away from wife and children, and in the hotel rooms and motel rooms or riding on planes or in trains. And so my heart goes out, home, home, sweet, sweet home. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. A charm from the sky seems to hallow us there, which seek through the world is not met with elsewhere. Oh, how blessed is a home where God is in it. And I want to talk to you about that today. It's blessed to have a home. You know, whatever people say about it, marriage is of God. Home is of God. And the matter of man and woman loving each other and taking each other for better or for worse until death do us part. I say that's God's plan. And you remember when God made Adam, he said he needs a helper. It's not right for man to live alone. And God took his rib and made a woman of it. And then he gave the woman to Adam. I think when Adam saw Eve, <laughs> he said, wow. He said, you're the prettiest thing I ever saw. And I think Eve may have said, big boy, you know, I like you better than any man I ever saw. He's the only, <laughs> only man she ever saw. 
the matter for a man to fall in love with a good woman and for a woman to love each other and to mate and have a home and children. That's not wrong. That's good. That's from God. Marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled and whoremongers and adulterers God will judge, the Bible says. Ah, uh, to have a Christian home. Well, let's start with the man, because uh, it was Joshua, not Mrs. Joshua. It was Joshua who said, it's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. No, Mrs. Joshua didn't say, I'm going to nag that old goat till he goes to church with me. <laughs> no, no. So let's talk about man's place in the Christian home. In the first place, a man is made in the image of God. In First Corinthians chapter 11, the scripture says that... Uh, um, the, the man is the, the woman is the image and glory of the man, but the man is made in the image of God. God's a masculine God. The pronouns about God are he and his and him and so on. Mrs. Mary Glover Baker Patterson, Eddie, she's married to all those guys. That's too many girls. She said, you ought to say our father, mother, God, but she was wrong. The Lord Jesus said we should say our Father which art in heaven, and God is a masculine God. And a man is God's deputy and God's high priest in the home. And so God has says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That is the husband, the protector and provider for his wife's body, like Christ is the savior in a spiritual sense of all who trust in him. And so man's made in the image of God. He's first of all, when a man marries, he's in the image of Christ because a man shall love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That means that marriage love ought to be um, based not only just on sex attraction. You love a girl when she's, oh, she's a little slip of a girl. She weighs 110 and she's so pretty. No, you're the lover when she gets old and fat and waddles when she walks and when her hair is gray and when she burns a biscuit and keeps house like a pig pen because God loves us when we're not worthy and he keeps on loving us when we're turned unworthy and a man to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, no man ever loves his wife too much, he may listen to her too much like Adam listened to Eve and got in trouble. But no man loves his wife more, too much. For when a man marries, then he's an image of Jesus Christ, and he ought to say, I'm going to stand before the world as to my wife, the leader and teacher, and um, an image of God, an image of the Savior. And then when God gives little children, a man's in the image of, image of God the Father. I can remember when my first one was born, and Grace weighed three, six and three-quarter pounds, and I took that little body in my arms, and I thought the prettiest baby I ever saw, and I guess I still do. Oh, my. You know, I, I wanted a boy to be an evangelist, learn to be a, a, a football quarterback, and then an evangelist, but they were out of boys and sent me a girl. And um, I kept ordering boys till I had a house full of girls. <laughs> I used to be partial to boys, but I know when I'm licked, I'm partial to girls now. <laughs> and I wouldn't trade one of these girls for any boy I ever saw in the world. But a man then, when God gives little children, then the children say, Dad, there's much that a child will learn about God. He'll never learn unless he sees it in his own father. Oh, a man with the children represents God the Father. 
and God in justice and God in mercy and God in tender love. I had those girls sing for me like as a father pitieth his children so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And that's right. So man here if you have little children, oh that's wonderful. Isn't it wonderful to have a little one holding on to your finger and you lead along with your care of somebody? And I used to I used to carry my girls and when I'd carry Joy, she'd hold on to one ear. <laughs> and sometimes she'd pat me in the back and say, My sweet daddy, my sweet daddy. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be a father and thus represent God Almighty in your home. That means then that a man ought to set the moral standards. Man to set the example. Well, somebody said, but a woman's naturally better. No. <laughs> a woman's naturally, but she's not better. <laughs> no. I heard a preacher say one day, he's a very good preacher, but he evidently had a hole in his head. Heard a preacher say, there never was a man clean enough, good enough, pure enough to be fit to marry any nice, fine, Christian girl. I know better than that. Amen. I know lots of men just as clean in the way they live and the way they think. Just as near to God and as anxious for purity and holiness as any woman in the world. And God intends a man to set the pattern. A man should be good. Oh, it's true that a woman may follow leadership a little quicker, but God holds man to set the moral standards in the home. A man should lead the way for that. That's right. I can remember years ago, had a revival campaign at Lockney, Texas, out toward the Panhandle. And we had dinner at a lovely home. And so we sat at the table, and after we'd had thanks, the good hostess said about Brother Rice, she said, what will you have to drink? And I said, I'll have iced tea, please. And she said, Grace, Grace said, always next to me. And she's about four or five years old. She said, Gracie, what will you have? And Gracie said, I'll have iced tea, please. And I said, lady, excuse me, can I change mine? She said, yes. I said, may I have milk, please? And Grace said, excuse me, please, may I have milk, too? <laughs> now, <clears throat> iced tea is not wrong, but little girls need milk. But I wouldn't say then, and my wife and all six of my daughters are evidence to it, that I never did say, I can drink what you can't drink, I can eat what you can't eat, I can read what you can't read, I can say things you can't say. No, sir. Amen. I said then, and I said now, God intends a man to be an example to his family and lead the way. And what man is even to be the Bible teacher for his wife. If any woman would know anything, let her ask her husband at home, the scripture says. Oh, it's a wonderful thing, the place of a man, the place of leadership in the home. That's important, is it? Oh, is it strange that a man would not take responsibility for his family at home? I was in a revival campaign at Duke, Oklahoma, years ago. <laughs> and we built a big tent. Uh, we built a big tabernacle. And people talked about this. They said, well, Harris Sadler's show when it comes to town never has this big a crowd. You'll never get this full. Everybody talked so much about it that we had it full and running over the first night. And uh, two churches cooperating went on preaching a great time. One night I saw a man and his wife come in and sit back down at the back. And the glum-faced fella. And the next night he liked that. I was jumping on Christians and he liked that. He talked about Christians himself. <laughs> and the next night he came on down and let his wife down and pushed her in here in the second seat or so. And the uh, uh, third night he was there and uh, I would preach on a Christian home. And I, <laughs> I got down on the front seat to preach some. And I said, any man that isn't uh, 
leaves it to his wife, the burden of raising his children for God and getting them saved and teaching them to be godly men and women. Any man leaves that burden on his wife, I said, he's a slacker and a shirker and a quitter. He's not fit to have a home. And I looked at this fellow, and he looks red-faced, and uh, oh, he's dressed up like a Baptist deacon or Methodist steward. You'd have thought he was a top nut, but I looked at him, and I said, isn't that so? I stood on the first seat, and he's on the second seat, and I put him a finger under his nose, and I said, isn't that so? He said, oh, uh, 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 I guess so. I said, you don't guess anything about it. You know that so, don't you? He said, yes, I know that so. <laughs> and the service went on, came to a close. And the Methodist preacher came to me. He was wringing his hands. I hope God will forgive me for all the preachers. I'm scared to death. If he going to strip the church and drive everybody away. And this Methodist preacher said, oh, Brother Ryan, what did you do that for? What did you do that for? I said, do what? He said, that old infidel said he goes up and down this country talking against preachers and religion and never goes to church. He said, you're the first time I ever heard him see, uh, go over here, any preacher, more than one time is him at the third night. So what do you do? You stick your finger under his nose and insult him, and he'll be so mad he'll never come back again. I said, I bet he does. <laughs> but I said, if it does not, if it does not, I said, he heard the prophet of God one that time. Next night he was back. It was Saturday night. And this night I preached to the unsaved. And I came to the close invitation, and I stood down in that front seat and said, people to come to Christ, and they sang just as I am. And so and I leaned over and whispered to that man standing in the second row, and I said, you didn't hold your hand, you're a Christian. He said, good night, no, me a Christian. No, no, he said, I'm not anything but a Christian. Well, I said, look here, your hair is gray. I said, you don't have much time to flirt with God before you go to hell. And he said, if I thought God would take a dirty old reprobate like me, I'd come in a minute. I said, he said, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. He said, come now, let us reason together. He said, preacher, do you think he'd take a man? I said, I know he would. He said, you mean if I trust him right now and give up to him, he'd take me and make me a Christian? I said, yes, sir, he would. I said, will you do it? He said, yes, I will. All right, I said, you want to come out here and tell everybody about it? No, he said, Preacher, if you don't mind, my wife's been going up to First Christian Church by herself for 20 years. I was in a house full of boys. They don't go to church with her. I don't either. Every Sunday morning she gets up and fixes dinner and so on, dresses up and ready for church. And I sit around my stocking feet and read the newspaper and talk about preachers. And she goes to church by herself. Said, it's all right. I'd like tomorrow morning to get up. Like I, oh, I've been doing all these years to go with my wife to church. I said, okay. And I'll claim the Lord there. And I said, I believe that's all right. And so he went and, and uh, he got up next morning and said, all right, boys, roll out. Everybody's going to church today. Good night. What a you. What in the world's happened to the old man? <laughs> and uh, who got my shirt? And uh, on and got ready. Oh, went the whole string. I went down to church and sat on one seat together. And the preacher preached and gave the invitation. He went forward and made profession openly. <laughs> and since it was our first Christian church, they had him baptized before he got home. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the sooner you get baptized, the better. Just so you got something to be baptized about. So you see, he came to tell me later, come back to tell me I never was. I talked it, but I never was an infidel like I said I was, he said. He came to the Lord, oh, God, want men to go lead the family for God. 
That's where it ought to be. Out of Lewistown, Pennsylvania. Grace, you remember that? <laughs> Lewistown, Pennsylvania. Revival campaign. That's where she. That's where she met her husband. And uh, I remember I preached on uh, send them in. One Sunday afternoon, had the house packed, and I said, "The man's going to answer God for his family. You let your family go to hell. You sure going to have a time, hard time. You pay Jesus Christ." I preached and closed the service. I went outside, and a man came out there, and uh, he reached in his pocket a top coat. And I saw on the street, he reached the top coat pocket and took a can of Prince Albert tobacco and sailed it out, skinning across the ice in that street and dipped the curb and down, spinning the tobacco down. He reached his arm up across his eyes like this and went walking home. Boy, he was tall. He's speaking, he's talking, walking about four feet a step. That's right. I said, something sure going to happen to that man's house. <laughs> something going to happen to that man's house. Sure is. Uh, so, uh, next thing you know, that man came and said, Brother Rice, why don't you in your books? Our uh, Sunday night, it was. You have to go home with me. I said, I can. yes, I said, yeah, I'm going to go home with you. You and Harry Clark and, and uh, daughter Grace and the secretary and, uh, and the bench man. I'll go home with me. And went. And when we left there, he gave me a picture. He took my picture with nine of his sons and sons-in-law that had been saved in the last week. He just went home and got them. That's the way it ought to be. Man's he's going to have to leave Amen. his family responsible to God for it. Amen. And God's place for a man in the home. What about a woman's place in the home? I wish I could turn to Proverbs chapter 31 and talk about that good woman. The heart of her husband is safely trust in her. That good woman works so hard to take care of things for her husband. And in her tongue's a lot of kindness. I can't take time for that. I have better reason to know I think God's blessing of good women than nearly anybody. My wife and I, we've been married, uh, what Mr. Rice, 58 years. It don't seem a bit more than 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, I have these lovely daughters. I've some good women worked for me one 45 years, another more than 40 years. And I thank God for good women. Good women who sing in the choir, take care of the nursery, and teach the children and do their part. Like Priscilla and Aquila, she helped take care of Paul the Apostle. And Paul said, Receive uh, this woman from Sincrea. She's been a sufferer or helper of many and me also. Thank God for good women. But what I'm talking about tonight is the home part, and the one main thing about a home is a wife is to be subject to her husband and be a mate for her husband. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23, 24, 25, like what you want to be in subjection to your own husbands, as unto the Lord. As what? As if he were the Lord Jesus. Is your husband like that? Because you... Uh, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, and you should do that too. You should feel that way too. Why be subject your own husband is unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ in everything, so let the wives be in subjection to their own husbands uh, in everything. You say, in everything? Yes. Say, so I don't believe that'll work. 
Well, I'll tell you what I do if I ask you. You go home, get your scissors, and cut that out of the Bible like any infidel would do. For Christians believe the Bible. Amen. Is that right? Yeah. All right. That's God's plan. Wife, be subject to her husband. Well, she said, I, don't, I believe in a 50-50 proposition. <laughs> do you? I heard about a man arrested in New York City. He was selling rabbit sausage. And somebody said, that rabbit sausage is par- horse meat. He put horse meat there. We got it before the court, and the judge said, now, what about that sausage? He said, rabbit sausage. Well, he said, does it have horse meat? Yes, some. Well, how much? He said, 50-50. He said, what do you mean, 50-50? He said, one horse, one rabbit, 50-50. So any time I hear about this 50-50 business in marriage, I know who's the horse and who's the rabbit. Yeah, you sissy britches men that don't have any character in manhood. You're the rabbit. God say, God's plan is to wipe this city to her husband. Let me ask you a question. Is it some terrible imposition if you have a teacher in the classroom? How many believe that a schoolroom, a classroom, ought to have a teacher for kids? Let's see, do you believe that? Yeah. Well, uh, do you think that uh, a court ought to have a judge? Uh, do you? I think country ought to have a president. I think a city ought to have a mayor. I think a state ought to have a governor. I think a big corporation ought to have a president, executive. Yeah. You think an army ought to have a general? Uh, you think so? Wouldn't be a silly business if never was anybody had any authority and nobody had any responsibility. Unless God's plan for the home, a husband's to be the head of the home. And a wife and children to love and honor him. And he's to answer to God for the family. So it is. Oh, yes. And God bless good women. And you say, I hate to knock on under. Ah, so do I. Say, I don't want to tell me what to do. Oh, you don't? Well, listen, back in Genesis when God said to Eve, he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, he shall rule over thee. Somebody said, I don't want about ruling over me. The devil didn't either. That's why I rebelled in heaven and got to be cast out of heaven to be a devil instead of an archangel. Yeah. I don't want to rule over me. That's what's the matter all the men in jail. That's the reason people go to hell. Amen. You know that? Just put this thing down. There's no way to be a good woman if you're a wife unless you take God's place for a good woman. Be subject to your husband. That's right. Some woman said, but Brother Rice, said, listen, I'm a better Christian than my husband. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're such a wonderful Christian. If you're such a good Christian as that, you probably want to follow the Bible, wouldn't you? Amen. Huh? Wouldn't you? And the Bible says, uh, well, I've been subject to your own husband. Somebody said, Brother Rice, my husband, I'm saved. But in First Peter chapter 3, you know, if you're married to an unsaved man, does that mean all right to be a liar and a cheat? You think people, unsaved people, you deal with, you ought to still be honest and keep your contract? Huh? And if you said till death do us part, don't you think that uh, unsaved men have a right to expect that too? So First Peter chapter 3 said, Likewise your wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that, that if it had been not the word, they may without the word be one with the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. A lot of Christian women are sending their husband to hell 
because they, they blacked their own influence and make themselves liars and cheats and perjurers and then they wonder why the husbands don't want that kind. I don't blame them, I wouldn't either. And God's way for a husband and wife is to be her husband. That's the way of happiness. And so it is. What does the Bible have to say about the correction and discipline of children? It has a good deal to say about it. I wonder how many have a Bible right Do you have a Bible now? Do you? Right now? Look at Ephesians 6 4. Ephesians 6 4. Likewise, you fathers, he said, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How many have a Schofield Bible? I have. Let's see your hand. Got a Schofield Bible? Or look at the word there, uh, the word nurture. Is there a little M by it in the middle of the. Uh, look over there. Is there a little M by that? Look over in the middle of the column, see what it says. Or discipline. You see that? Is that right? So bring your children up in the, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Oh, discipline. I looked up that Greek word. Uh, Dr. Tom Long says, I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. Uh, a little Greek, he runs a restaurant, and a little Hebrew runs a clothing store. <laughs> so I know a little Greek, and I looked up that Greek word, and I found out how often it's used in the, uh, for instance, in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6 is the scripture says, uh, Our fathers chastened us at their pleasure, and no chastening for the moment seemeth good, but grievous. Uh, all right, so the word chastening is the same word translated nurture here. Bring your children up in the admonition or nurture, uh, in the discipline, in the chastening of the Lord. In Luke chapter 22, I believe it is, uh, Pilate said about Jesus, I'll chastise him and let him go. I'll beat him with a Roman scourge and let him go. They said, no, we won't crucify him. But the word chastise is a verb form right here. Bring your children up in the chastising and nurture of the Lord. But Brother Rice, I believe in talking to children. I do too. But children don't always hear the first time. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. And they don't listen too well. Miss Rice and I found a way to make it so they can hear. <laughs> you know that? I bring them up in the nurture or in the discipline and admonition. Some said, Brother Rice, I believe in praying for children. I do too. But praying doesn't take the place of doing right. Amen. Praying won't take the place of obeying the Bible. What you better do is you better do what the Bible says and pray God will work it out that way, and he will. See that? Uh, you say, whip children? Yes, sir. A woman years ago had a column in the paper, and she said, if my dad hadn't whipped me, if he'd beaten me, I'd hate him till I die. My brother, Dr. Bill, has gone to heaven now. Dr. Bill said, if it had been our dad, <laughs> when he whipped her, she wouldn't hate anybody. She'd love him to death for stopping. <laughs> you know that? Yes, sir. That's God's will. This is just as much the Bible as John 3.16. And Christians ought to have the Bible on how to have a Christian home. Turn to Proverbs 13.24, please. He that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Did you get that? He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. You say, I love my boy too much to whip him. No, you don't. You're lying. You love your own lazy, godless self and don't have character enough to do right so let the boy go to hell. No, that's right. You're supposed to whip the children and, and make them mind to do right. Um, 
begin how do you read in first Samuel chapter two, one and two about Eli. He was high priest, his godly man, had boys a wild, adulterous, irreverent, profane, and God told Samuel one night, said, Samuel, Samuel, he said, You go tell Eli, his sons have made themselves vile and he restrained them not. And you tell him, I'm going to take the priesthood away from him and from his sons forever. Oh, what trouble. And the boys died in battle, and the old man fell off of the bench where he sat when he heard the ark of God is stolen by the Philistines, and it broke his neck and died, nine years old. A curse on the whole family because they didn't whip his children. His sons uh, made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. You know, it's a sad thing, so many Christian families that children go wrong. I was in a revival meeting at Central Oklahoma years ago. I went downtown and I went from store to store, met every businessman and invited them to come to the meeting. They were very gracious and courteous to me, but I found they didn't come to the meeting. I wonder why. I found out after two or three nights, the pastor's son, 17 years old, came in drunk one night and couldn't get in the house and so he went in the church in the basement and lay there and vomited all over the floor. They found him there in his vomit the next morning. And I knew then why people didn't come to church, that church. How many people, Christian people, had children go wrong? A man came to me since I've been at this conference. A fine young fellow came to see me. I know his father. He's a good man. And this young fellow told him how that when he was young, he got on dope and sin of one kind of another and followed him for years until the, the ghost of his sins haunts him today. A preacher's son. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Preacher's son, pretty bad. Bill Sunday had such a sermon on, get on the water wagon, a sermon against booze. And his own boys arrested again and again for drunken, drunkenness. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Yes. Let me tell you now, you better take the heart. If you can't raise a good family, you're not a good Christian. If you can't keep the boys and girls right and uh, raise them to serve God, then you're to blame. You're going to have to take the blame for it. Uh, he that loveth his son spareth the rod. He that hateth his son spareth He that loveth him chastens him betimes. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there's hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. What do you mean? Do it before he gets too big. Whip him while you're big enough to handle him. That's right. Before he gets too sopped in his ways and so in alcohol or dope until enough the royal crowd, chasing thy son while there's hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. What that means? Go ahead and whip him. You haven't licked him yet until you get that settled. Go ahead. You say whip him till he cries? Yeah. And you better whip him till he stops crying until you know that's true. If he's still mad when you get through, you haven't whipped him. If he's still sucky, sulky. You haven't fixed this yet. I wonder how many here, everybody here was ever in the United States Army, were you? Anybody do close order? I see your hand, were you? Oh, I remember the training of that old top sergeant. He was top. And he'd say, wipe that smile off. And you wiped it off. Yeah. But if a top sergeant in the Army can make you fix your face, a dad and mother can whip a girl or a boy till they get their face fixed up and their heart fixed up. You better do it too. That's right. That's right. Uh, chasing thy son while there's hope. I had a letter from years ago from a family up in New York State. The man said, 
I married a lovely widow. Here's some stepchildren. She has a girl, 15, and she's breaking her mother's heart. Oh, she said she stays out till 1 o'clock at night sometimes and sasses her mother and this, that, and the other, and I don't know what to do. And I wrote back and said, I don't know why I answer you. I don't think you're going to listen. But if you don't, you've got to answer to God for it. I said, the next time that girl uh, speaks, turns her nose up at her mother, disobeys on any matter, I said, you take her down, and you take, put her across one knee, and you put your hand in the back of her, of her neck, and you put this, put over there those knees, and you get your ping pong paddle, or razor shot. And I said, you wade in and whip her till she begs for mercy, and tell her the next time it'll be twice as long and twice as hard, until you go and get this fixed. I said, I don't think you'll do it. You waited this long, 15. Another few months, that girl's going to be a harlot. She's been no good, gone, if you don't do this right. I said to the woman, this good woman, don't you interfere. You stand there and say, go to it. You stand there and write and say, you're right. We've got to have this fixed. And you back him up in it. I got a letter. Life a little while they wrote and said. Then said, I did what you said. I took her down. I blistered her good. And until she cried and begged for mercy. And I told her the next time, be twice as long and twice as hard. And said, Mother stood there and wept. But she said, Go ahead, get this settled. Go ahead, I'm for it. We got to get this settled. The girl's going to hell if you don't. And said, Got that settled. Said that girl's the nicest talking girl. She loves her mother. She does her part of the work. She gets in when she's commanded to get in. She said, Oh, listen, uh, uh, chasing my son while there's hope, for it's too late. And let not thy soul spare his crying. Now, you better take this to heart like it takes John 3, 16 to heart. This is in the Bible. Again, this Proverbs uh, verse, chapter 22 and verse 6. Friend of a child, and we should go on when it's old, he'll not depart from it. Friend of a child, and we should go on up and gone, grown now. You'll stay with it. A woman wrote me from Texas. And she said, Dr. Ryan, someone should pray for my son. He's 40 years old. He's married. Got five children. She's after women. He's a drunkard. He's a blasphemer. But she said, I want to be saved. And I know, she said, I raised him right. The Bible says he'll come back to it when he's old. I had to write and tell the Bible didn't say anything of the kind. I said, that boy didn't stay with it because you didn't get it fixed. No, sir. And I said, you're going to better confess to God you failed about praying up a child and wish it gone. Even when it's old and grown, I'm gone. He won't leave it. He'll stay with it. You can get things settled for a lifetime. You better do it with your children. So I said, well, don't want to always be beating on the children. <laughs> you don't have to. There's a way of whipping children until they get the idea there must be some easier way to get through life than this. <laughs> you know that? Amen. And you better believe it and try it. All right. What about family worship, Bible reading and prayer in the home? Let's find another text. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, 8, and 9. And here's another wonderful scripture about the family altar that you ought to do. Well done. You know the Ten Commandments are given first in Exodus chapter 20. Then again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And now in chapter 6 in verses five, 6. And these words which I command this, this day shall be in thine hearts. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. And to talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be in front of between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on the gates. 
Well, the Word of God, teach them diligently to your children the Word of God. And talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou risest up, and thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Talk about the Word of God. That means, you mean just day and day all the time? That's what the Bible said. Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Do you teach the Bible to your children diligently? Uh, I thank God. What sweet memory. I know these girls feel that way. Oh, the memory when we ever they took the Bible and read it together. The way we did it, right after breakfast, everybody heard Bible. We tried it at night, but it's a little hard to keep the little kids uh, from falling out of the chairs. You prop them up by the 11 o'clock at night and try to read to them. Oh, have breakfast and get your Bibles, every girl, get your Bible. And we'd read. We'd read a full chapter, or if it's the Psalms, maybe two or three. And I'd take the first two verses, and the next girl two, and the next girl two, and just rise to it, round and go, till we read a whole chapter. And tomorrow we'll start on the next one. And then we'd read those chapters, and then I'd read those verses through. And then we'd, I'd say, what about verse 13? Let's memorize that. Maybe I'd say, Mary Ross, which verse do you like the best? Maybe I'd say, living, what do you think verse 7 means? And we'd talk about it, and we'd pray. Then just a memory work. We memorize. I wonder how much you girls you still remember. We memorized the first psalm, the eighth psalm, the fifteenth psalm, the twenty-third psalm, the twenty-fourth psalm, the twenty-seventh psalm. Remember the one hundred psalm, hundred and twenty-first psalm, hundred and third, hundred and twenty-sixth psalm. We memorized. We memorized. In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, chapter 14, chapter 15, we memorize Romans 8, Romans 12, we memorize Philippians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Matthew 28, the resurrection chapter, in the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary to see the supper. Behold, it was a great earthquake for the angel. The Lord descended and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And, uh, of course, the birth, Luke chapter 2, birth of Christ. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son chapter. Oh, yes. And how many others we memorized? Oh, my thousand of verses we did. I should have. It's not an accident that all my girls married full-time workers, all of them saved, all of them the college education. It's not an accident. You can see that children, in the first place, they learn to read. <laughs> right there at home and, and around the table. We read, listen, we read uh, all the Bible five times. We read through the Psalms and the, and the Proverbs 15 times, every, every line of it, in the family altar. And you can have the time. You don't have time for that, do you? How much time does that take? Well, Mrs. Rice and I, we're still at home, read four chapters a day together. One day we read four chapters, and I prayed, and she prayed, and I prayed for over 100 people by name every day. And we got to, and I, I remember when we read four chapters, each one of us prayed. I remember it took 22 minutes. That's not so much. You say take 15 or 20 minutes a day away from the television uh, program in order to read the Bible? Yes, or take down your, your sight and quit lying about being a Christian. If you don't take time for the Bible, you're not a good Christian. If you don't take time to teach it to your children. Oh, the Word of God, teach it together. It, 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 teach it diligently to your children. Talk of it all the time. 
he said. And writing it said on the wall of your houses, on the post of your gates, my, my, is your home obviously a Christian home? Can anybody come around there feel oh, this must be a Christian home? We've got, got mottos on the wall, scriptures on the wall, and they're talking about the Bible all the time. So it ought to be, oh my, as you're teaching children the Bible. Someone said, Brother Ross, ought to have prayer in the schools. That's right. Ought to have Bible reading in the schools and prayer. That's right. You see, I hope they'll have a, an um, amendment to the Constitution so who can have volunteer Bible reading and prayer. That's fine. I hope they do. Well, they probably won't. You know why? Of course, your kind of trash is back of it and don't want it. That's right. That's right. Um, Madeline O'Hare, a dirty she-devil, infidel, got money together. Her boy is embarrassed when somebody read the Bible at school. And he didn't want to read it. So she got together and got to get went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says you can't have this volunteer Bible reading prayer in the schools. Left wing Supreme Court. Oh, my. That poor, that, that man, poor man, was head of the Supreme Court so long. I knew his sister. Her husband was a pastor, a preacher. She begged me to pray for her lost brother. Who was so long head of that left winger, head of the Supreme Court so long. But you couldn't, they didn't have it. Communists don't have it. If you lived in communist Russia, you could, you wouldn't even have a Sunday school. Yet there's not a Sunday school in Soviet Russia unless, unless it's hid in the cave. Nobody tells about it. You know what The official religion is infidelity, atheism in Russia. Or you couldn't teach your children. If you taught your children the Bible and what I'm reported you, you might go to Siberia. Okay, do it, Russia. Now, maybe I'm kind of, maybe I'm mistreating you people. Maybe up here in Ohio, you got a law, you can't read the Bible at home with children. Can't have prayer with children, have you? Is that, is that it? That's why you don't do it, is it? Because they got a law here that won't allow you to read the Bible and pray with your children. Is that it? Huh? Is there any law like that in Ohio? Then why don't you do it? Because you don't want to, just like other infidels, you're not interested. You see, you and the communists and the Madeleine O'Hare and left-wingers are about to take America to hell, aren't you? Yeah. Well, don't you just make up your mind, I'll quit claiming to be a Christian unless I set out to act like one at home and have family worship. Sound Bible reading and prayer, wouldn't that be all right? You could do it, couldn't you? Amen. Don't you know God will help you about your children and would answer your prayers and put food on the table and put clothes on the children's back and help you about the schooling and the rest of it. If you took time every day of time to worship Bible reading and prayer, and you ought to do it, oughtn't you? Don't you think so? Oh, that, well, that's awful old-fashioned, isn't it? Yeah, but bless God. They're good children turn out to live for God's old-fashioned. You ought to do it. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.